hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's a privilege and honor to be here today. First off, I want to thank the church family for sharing your pastor with the mainland. Your pastor has been a great blessing to us in the, in the field in, in, in the continental uh, United States. And thank you for sharing him with us. He's been an inspiration to many of the young people here. So I know at times it's hard for your pastor to leave, but thank you for sharing him with the rest of the world. Amen. Um, just want to give a short testimony before I begin my message. Actually, about a month ago, Pastor and I were working the same meeting together in Southern California. At that time, not knowing, I had a bacterial infection. And at the final day of the meeting, I had a 105-degree temperature and was rushed to the emergency room. And I wasn't sure if I was going to make it here, but I praise God that I'm here today, Amen. this Sabbath, to worship with you in spirit and truth. Amen. So today's message is titled, Land of the Free. Land of the free. And before I begin, let us have a word of prayer and ask for God's presence. For I'm just a man of flesh and blood and dust, and I'm nothing, and God is everything. So before we begin, let's have a word of prayer and ask for God's presence. And again, today's message and today's study is called Land of the Free. And before I begin, I just want to let you know and preface the fact, it's not going to be more of a sermon. It's a Bible study. So is it okay to have a Bible study today? Yes. So we'll, have a, we'll open up the Bible, compare text with text. Amen. I'm not a rah-rah preacher where I just talk about one text and just go on stories. We'll just go from text to text if that's okay with you. Amen? Amen. So before we begin, let's have a word of prayer and ask for God's presence again. The title of the study today is called Land of the Free. Our Father and God in heaven, Father, we thank you for blessing us and allowing us to experience another Sabbath day rest. And Father, we know that your presence is here with us in this room. And I just ask that your Holy Spirit fill my mind and fill my heart, that I be a blessing and not a curse to your people. And so Father, we ask as we study your word, may your people be blessed without measure, and that through this message that they'll be motivated and strengthened and encouraged to apply the truths that will be presented of the special work that you have for us to do as Seventh-day Adventists. Father, we see the world falling apart. We see the world and this nation crumbling before our eyes. But Father, we know that you have called us to do a special work for this time, to be the solution to all of life's problems through the message of the gospel. And so, Father, we ask for your presence. We ask for your Holy Spirit. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The United States of America has been the sole superpower since the crumbling of communism since 1989. It is often equated as the land of opportunity and the land of freedom where people can uh, escape oppression and tyranny for a better life. In fact, my parents, I am of Korean descent, and my parents, my father specifically, left Korea because he did not want to go through mandatory military service. As a Seventh-day Adventist, it's very difficult to practice your faith while you're in the Korean military. 
So him and his family, his, his parents, all came to the United States, first Canada first, and then the United States, to come here for a better life. And do you know that the United States was raised for that purpose, and the Bible talks about that specific purpose, that the United States was established for a special time in Earth's history. What is that time? Notice what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, starting with verse 15. Revelation chapter 12, starting with verse 15. And when you're there, let me know that you're there by saying amen. amen. Revelation chapter 12, starting with verse 15. And the Bible says, And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Now this is prophetic language here. And as we compare scripture with scripture, the serpent represents Satan. We know that the serpent represents Satan by comparing it. The Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 reveals that the serpent is Satan himself. Now the woman represents a church. We know that from Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25, Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 2, and other texts that equates that a woman represents the church. So Satan in the form of a serpent, brings out a flood of water to destroy God's church. Now, what does that flood represent? According to Psalms 18, verse 4, we don't have to turn there for the interest of time. Psalms 18, 4 states that those floods rep represent ungodly men, the floods of ungodly men. And therefore, Satan used the governments of Europe at that time to destroy God's true church through persecution. And so the church appeared to that was about to fall. And for 1,260 years, God's true church was under persecution and under fierce attack. But I praise God that God hears the saints of his people whenever we're in trouble, be it financial, be it relationship, be it personal, or be it corporate. We could go to God and ask him for our help, and God hears our prayers. And God gave a solution. God gave an escape or a bailout plan. He gave a way of escape for the church. And notice what it says in verse 16. And the Bible says, And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And we know that the earth represents an underpopulated area. And we know during the time when America was founded in 1776 that there were close to only 2 million people living in the known United States at that time. So God raised up the United States as a way of escape, as a place of refuge and religious liberty so God's church can escape at that time, at that place of papal tyranny to prosper and fulfill the Protestant Reformation. Amen. You see, the United States was prophetically raised up for a purpose and a refuge, not only for temporal ones, for a better life, for the religious, liberty, religious liberty and for God's church to prosper. You see, there's two holidays we as Seventh-day Adventists should, should really celebrate. The 4th of July. Why? Because this nation is known for religious liberty. And also, Thanksgiving. 
Do you know that Thanksgiving is based on Revelation chapter 12? How did Thanksgiving originate? From the pilgrims. Did not the pilgrims come to escape the tyranny of, the United, uh, of, of Europe? Amen. And so two holidays we should relish, and we have no problem celebrating is the 4th of July and Thanksgiving. Amen? Amen? And there's a lot of food. Amen? But like Medo-Persia, that was raised up to liberate God's people from the tyranny of Babylon, turned to an oppressive power, what were the United States prophetically destined to become? Notice the Bible says in Revelation 13. Revelation 13. Revelation 13, starting in verse 11. Revelation 13, verse 11. What will this country destined to become? The Bible says, and I beheld another beast come out of the earth, and he had two horns like a drag, he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast, beast before him, and caused the earth and them that which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. Now notice the description of the beast, the beast coming out of the earth, an uh, underpopulated area, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Now, how does a dragon speak? Now, speech is an expression of the heart. Speech determines the actions and the motives of a person. You are what you speak, oftentimes. Oftentimes, when you conversate with someone else or somebody in casual conversation, you can most likely determine what he or she is into in their lives. Now, how does the dragon speak? Notice the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. How does the dragon speak? The Bible says, And the dragon was wroth or angry with the woman or the church, and to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and, the, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the Lamite beasts who we know from Bible prophecy and those that are unfamiliar, there are many resources that we could provide to show you these prophetic imagery. Just uh, pull me aside or pull pastor aside and we could direct you to resources. This Lamite beast, which represents the United States, one day will speak as a dragon. Now how does a dragon speak? By making war and being angry with the woman, which is the church that keeps the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Religious liberty is in borrowed time. Now, when we observe the imagery, we determine that this lamb speaks as a dragon. And the Bible describes this lamb as a beast. And we know by comparing scripture with scripture that a beast equals a kingdom or a nation or political power. We can find that in Daniel chapter 7, verse 23. Now, we have determined that this is a political power and is described as a lamb. What does a lamb represent? Jesus. We can find that in John chapter 1, verse 29, when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Now, where is Jesus at right now? He's in the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary in heaven. We know that Jesus is in heaven, according to Acts chapter 7, verse 55. Now, what did Jesus say about his kingdom? Notice what the Bible says in John chapter 18. John chapter 18, verse 36. What did Jesus say about his kingdom? 
John chapter 18, verse 36. And notice Jesus, as he was being interviewed by Pilate, Pilate determined to see whether Jesus was instituting a physical, martial revolution and insurrection to overthrow the Roman Empire. And notice Jesus' answer, John 18, verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from Hence, so what did, what did Jesus say about his kingdom? It is not of. So we see here the principles of the separation of church and state. Jesus is not involved in political affairs because his kingdom, his nation is not of this world, but is that of heaven. Amen. So there's a separation. Amen. Now the United States is described like a lamb, like beast, and like Jesus, the United States, since its founding, has advocated the separation of church and state. But remember, like the papacy is the antichrist or the counterfeit Jesus because it claims to be as God and it claims to have the power to forgive sins. As I was looking at this text, could it be as the papacy is the counterfeit Jesus, that the United States is the counterfeit kingdom of God. What do I mean by this? You see, people come to this country thinking it's paradise. You go all around the third world countries and all around the other nations, and people want to come to America. They say they hate America, but they want to come to America. And why do they want to come to America? because they want that gated community home. They want to see what Hollywood sells them. They think that America is financial heaven. And likewise, as the papacy is the antichrist, could it be that the United States is a counterfeit heaven? As I stated, I am of Korean descent. And in Korean culture, especially in the mainland in California, if someone has a Mercedes-Benz, that other person has to get a Mercedes-Benz. If someone has a house in a gated community, that other person has to get a home in a uh, gated community. It's a rat race. It's called keeping up with the Joneses. And, um, and, and we're caught up in this, in this temporal thing that we have to outdo one another because we want to make heaven on earth, but soon and very soon, this nation will pass from the scene. In fact, notice what it says in Southern Worker, December 24, 1907, paragraph 3. The Southern Work, December 4, 1907. The symbols of earthly governments are wild beasts. But in the kingdom of Christ, men are called upon to behold not a ferocious beast, but the Lamb of God. Not as the fierce tyrant did he come, but as the son of man, not to conquer the nations by his iron power. He came as the divine restorer, bringing to oppressed and downtrodden humanity the rich and abundant grace of heaven, that by the power of his righteousness, man, fallen and degraded, though he was, might be partakers of divinity. Jesus' government does not institute his power by force. 
But we see the United States slowly but surely expanding its sphere of influence by the most powerful military of the world which they possess by force. Now, Francis Scott Key, when he wrote the national anthem poem in 1812, stated that the United States is the land of the free and the home of the brave. What is the true land of the free? What should, be, what should we be free from? Notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, starting verse 18. America says that we're land of the free. But what does the kingdom of heaven say that we should be free from? Romans chapter 6, starting verse 18. And when you're there, please say amen. amen. The Bible says, being that made free from sin, ye become the servants of righteousness. You see, the gospel power, the gospel message gives us freedom from sin. As I travel from place to place, I've heard so many testimonies of people being free from the bondages of addictions, of drugs, of alcohol, of any vice and sin. The gospel message can liberate us, and truly the kingdom of God is the home land of the free. But it's also the home of the brave. Who are the brave? Notice the Bible says in Revelation 15. Revelation 15. Revelation 15, star in verse 2. Who's the home? Of, why is it the home of the brave? The Bible says in Revelation 15, verse 2, And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over the image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on a sea of glass having the harps of God. See, the home of the brave is those that will have victory over Satan, victory over self, and victory over sin. And all throughout the ages that those from Abel on to the last of the remnant that will stand for the commandments of God, those will be the ones that will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And yes, heaven is the land of the free and the home of the brave. Now, People are seeking to come to America to seek the American dream. There are some third world countries that believe that America's, uh, America's streets are, are, are paved with, uh, with gold on the streets, that the asphalts are gold. And it was interesting. I'm from, I'm from, I'm from Southern California. And everyone's, you know, tourists want to come to uh, L.A. And they, the first thing they want to do is, I want to go to Hollywood. I want to go to the Walk of Fame. Do you know that Hollywood is one of the most dirtiest, slummest, vilest places in the United States? Amen. Buildings falling apart, potholes everywhere. And yet the enemy of souls through television and through movies gives this false image saying, Hollywood is such a great golden place where celebrities dwell. Celebrities are 50 miles, 20 miles, 30 miles away from there. You see, that's what the enemy of soul does. He thinks that we live here, that it's, it's an okay place. But yet Jesus is offering something that much better for you and I. Amen. What is Jesus, Jesus offering us? And those the Bible says in Revelation 21. 
Revelation 21. Revelation 21, starting verse 21. The Bible says, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. Do you know that Jesus is offering you a home in a gated community? And the mortgage is paid by the blood of Jesus. No bills. The best culinary food of heaven that ever devised, the tree of life. No worry about bills. You see, the reason why God permits trials, God permits situations and financial situations and, and stuff of that sort is because God wants us to have a distaste of this world. God has something better for us. See, we're in a debt crisis in the United States, amen? Politicians haggling here and there and everywhere, but heaven's economy never falls. There's no debt ceiling in heaven because it's of infinite riches. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, just as a side note, this debt crisis is serious. Do you know that if this debt crisis goes through, it is prophetic? That if it goes through, I know that God will hold the winds of strife. But if it goes through, there will be widespread inflation everywhere. Food prices will rise, and I would not want to be trapped in L.A. during that time. Amen. Praise God, you're in Hawaii where you can pick large avocados from the trees of the church. Amen? Amen. You guys are ready for the crisis. <laughs> Pray for us in the cities. Because, because I know that if this is going through, do you know Great Conversation, page 589, 590 says that those that want to pass a Sunday law will want a Sunday law because of the restoration of divine favor and temporal prosperity. Temporal prosperity is a restoration of the economy. And we see here that we're in an economic crisis, and brothers and sisters, soon and very soon, a new superpower will come in the scene. Now, America is known for the land of immigrants, of people entering who realized that they were immigrants and wanted to enter the true land of the free. Now, who are some of these immigrants that sought to go to this better country? Notice what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. Who are these immigrants? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked, for, he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having them having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Do you know Abraham had a vast mansion in Ur, which, is now, which was then Babylon? And he lived in tents. 
And if Abraham thought that it, that, that, that it was not worth to live in tents, he would go back to Babylon. But no, Abraham in his eye of faith knew that there was a city and a gated house prepared for him in heaven. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. We have to realize that we're all immigrants passing through this world. And this world is temporary. Now, Article 6 Clause two of the United States Constitution states what's called a supremacy clause that the United States Constitution is the supreme law of the land. That any other law that is passed by the states or the counties or towns of the United States, if it conflicts with the Constitution of the United States, the Constitution of the United States wins. Do you know that God has a supreme law? And what is that supreme law? Notice what the Bible says in Psalms 103, the 103rd division of Psalms, verse 2. Psalms 103, the 103rd division of Psalms, verse 20. The 103rd division of Psalms, verse 20. And when you're there, please say amen. amen. Psalms 103, verse 20. Bless the Lord, yea, his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments. Hearken unto the voice of his word. So we know that angels dwell in heaven, and even the angels keep the commandments of God, and the supreme law of the land or of the universe is the law of God. And notice what... 17 manuscript releases, page 319, paragraph 1 states, In the law of the kingdom of God, who rules the sinless inhabitants of heaven, are to be found the principles that should lie at the foundation of the laws of earthly governments. The laws of these governments should be in harmony with the law of Jehovah, the standard by which all created beings are to be judged. No man should be forced to act in harmony with human laws that are in direct opposition to the law that God has given. You see, brothers and sisters, when we have a job, and that job requires us to worship, the job, and the job requires us to work on the Sabbath day, do you know that God has given us the holiday of holidays every seventh day of the week? Amen. It's the true labor day Amen. to rest from all our labors. And the job tells us that we must violate that holiday and work on that day. God has given us sufficient grace to allow us that God will work it through that he could even give us a better job. I have a friend in Southern California. Actually, he moved to the country in Northern California. He was an alcoholic. His family was falling apart. He was a, he was he was not even a Seventh-day Adventist, and he came to a Seventh-day Adventist church and heard a presentation of the seal of God, and he was convicted on the Sabbath, and God gave him victory over alcohol. Amen. And he was a manager of a grocery store, and he had a well-paying job, and he was convicted on the Sabbath, and he said to his employer, I need the Sabbath off, and the employer says, you can't do that. You're the manager. 
That's against company policy. But do you know that the law of the land states that the company must prove that it's an unjust burden for them to have the employee keep the Sabbath? It's on the company. And also, the company is obligated by law to give you a reasonable accommodation. And so that, that, that young man went to, his, went to the elders and the pastors and they wrote a letter about uh, Seventh-day Adventists keeping the Sabbath day and he presented a letter and then the company reconsidered the request and they said, okay, we'll move you but you will not be the manager anymore. He said, that's fine. I just want to keep the Sabbath. And they moved him to another place and do you know he only had a $1 pay cut? Titles don't matter, brothers and sisters. God will provide. What is that one dollar compared to keeping that Sabbath day? Amen? Amen. The law of love being the foundation of the government of God, the happiness of all intelligent beings depends upon the perfect accord with its great principles of righteousness. God desires from all his creatures the service of love, service that springs from the appreciation of his character. He takes no pleasure in a forced obedience and to all he grants freedom of will that they may render him voluntary service. You know, I, I, I keep up with the war news in Afghanistan and Iraq. And it's incredible. Those that make the best soldiers are those that volunteer because they truly love the United States. So-called heroes that come about sacrificing life and limb. Why? Because they believe in the United States. And when September 11, they enlisted in the United States. I remember was that Pat Tillman. Remember him? He was a strong safety for the for the St. Louis uh, Cardinals uh, uh, football, the Arizona Cardinals, a football team. And he gave up a million dollar paycheck to enlist in the special forces. What motivated him to, motivated him to give up the million dollar salary in the NFL? It was love for his country. Likewise, if we have love for Jesus, we will do everything to be pleasing in his sight, and God will return a blessing even that much better. Why? Because we love him because he first loved us. Now, do you know that this kingdom of heaven has citizens? Who are the citizens of this kingdom of heaven? Those are the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Who are the citizens of this kingdom of heaven? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. The Bible says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You see, when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for you and I in Calvary, as my friend evangelist Todd Pocalypse said, it's no longer about race, but it is about grace. No longer is it the Jewish dispensation, but every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, Acts 17 said that God through Jesus who shed his blood, bounded and unified all people by his blood. And so, all of us that accept Jesus now become citizens in this kingdom of heaven. And it also says in this text that we are citizen saints of the household of God. What is the household of God? Notice the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. What is the household of God? 
1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And when you're there, please say amen. amen. The Bible says, If I tarry long that thou mayest know how they, thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So we become citizens of the household of God, which is the church. Now, when nations have diplomatic relations with other nations, what do they establish? They establish a embassy. Do you know that the church is an embassy of the kingdom of heaven? And do you know if you say step in the United States embassy, like, for example, say that you were in the Philippines, and you went and stepped your foot upon the grounds of the United States embassy in the Philippines, the law of the Philippines does not bind you. It is the law of the United States of America. You are in the grounds of the United States. Do you know when you enter into this church, you are now entering the territory and ground of the kingdom of heaven? Amen. That the law of God is binding us as we set foot in this, in this church, Amen. the supreme law of the land. And the embassy represents the interest of a nation. Now, what does the embassy house? Someone in particular. What dignitary or official does an embassy house? An ambassador. And who are the ambassadors? Notice what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. The Bible says, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespass unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. So who are the ambassadors, brothers and sisters? We are. And what is another function of an embassy? An embassy's function is for people of foreign nationalities to go into the embassy to apply for citizenship for the nation that that embassy represents. Do you know that those that come to these walls are applying for citizenship to the kingdom of heaven? And how do we get our citizenship papers? How do we get our passports? Notice what the Bible says in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 12. How do we gain citizens in this kingdom? 
The Bible says, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. When we are baptized, that's when we get our passports to be naturalized as citizens into the kingdom of heaven, the true land of the free and home of the brave. Now, this is my most important point in this study. What is the church connected to? What is the church connected to? What determines the destiny and success of a church? Notice what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. What is the church connected to? What intimate relationship does the church have that determines its destiny? 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verse 1 and 2. And when you're there, please say amen. amen. This is talking about the church. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. And the younger men as brethren. The elder women as mothers. The younger as sisters with all purity. Now when we talk about mother, father, brother and sister. What are we talking about? Family. That's why the church is connected with the family. That's why God calls the church the household of God. So the destiny of the church is connected with the destiny of the family. Do you know that your families are also an embassy to God? Do you know that your families and your homes are also a representation of the kingdom of heaven. And what do I mean by this? Notice what, a, notice what inspiration says in Adventist Home, page 15, paragraph 1. Society is composed of families and is what the heads of families make it. Out of their heart are the issues of life, and the heart of the community, of the church, and of the nation is the household, the well-being of society, the success of the church, the prosperity of the nation depend upon home influences. We talk about revival and reformation and praise God for Elder Wilson's initiative, but in order for us to have revival and reformation in the church, we must have revival and reformation in the family. Sons and Daughters of God, page 223, paragraph 4. Some households have a little church in the home. Did you catch that? Some households have a little church in the home. Therefore, our homes are little churches, and those churches are embassies that represent the kingdom of God. You see, when you bring visitors into the church, do you know that they are now stepping in God's territory? Mutual love binds heart to heart, and the unity that exists among the members of the family preaches the most effectual sermon that could be, that could be preached on practical godliness. 
This is the failure of our church today. We depend upon speakers and conferences and evangelistic crusades and net programs, and they are good, and they serve a purpose, but the most effectual sermon is in the family. As parents faithfully do their duty in the family, restraining, correcting, advising, counseling, guiding, the father as the priest of the household, the mother as a home missionary, they are filling the sphere God would have them fill, by faithfully doing their duty in the home, they are multiplying agencies for doing good outside the home. They are becoming better fitted to labor in the church. So therefore, for us to be effective in the church, we must be Christ-like and effective in the home. And what does the Apostle Paul qualify for an elder? Notice what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. The Bible says, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of Paul also verifies the spirit of prophecy because it's the same Holy Spirit and that the destiny of the church is dependent upon how we conduct ourselves in the home. How will we treat husband and wife, mother and, and children, father and children? How we interact one another is dependent upon the destiny of the church. Adventist Home, page 319, paragraph 3 says, Home religion is greatly needed and our words in the home should be of a right character or our testimonies in the church will amount to nothing. Unless you manifest meekness, kindness, and courtesy in your home, your religion will be vain. If there are more genuine home religion, there would be more power in the church. I had to learn this the hard way, brothers and sisters. I started being interested. I was born in the church and raised in the church, but I became truly excited and convicted of our distinct end-time, last-day message all about nine and a half years ago when I was 25 years old. And I was on fire, and I was doing ministry here and there, and my, my family members thought I was crazy. And my family members would say comments like, finish school first. You need to, you need to focus on your d- degree and not, not do this and not do that. Well, you could do plenty of that ministry after you graduate. And I got annoyed and irritated, and I, and, and I just shoved my family to the side. And I wondered why they would not come to my meetings. <laughs> but then I, when I started to realize that I must be kind and tender to my family members, that I had to be a witness to my family, that I had to show love and patience and meekness and, and, and eat my pride, eat my pride when self arises. There was a softening of my family members. They come to my meetings now. They're interested in what I have to share. And in fact, most recently, my father came to me and said, Son, can you give me and the family a study on last day events? See, it begins in the home and how you treat your family. And that's where the power lies. But what about the broken home? 
We live in a society and the reality is that many of our homes may not have a father or may not have a mother. Is there no hope for the broken family? But God has a solution. God always has a bailout plan for you and I. Notice what the Bible says in the 68th division of Psalms. Psalm 68, verse 5. Psalm 68, verse 5. As we bring some final points. Psalm 68, verse 5. What about the broken family? Psalm 68, verse 5. A father of the fatherless and the judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary, or in the original it means unity in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. So although you may not have a father or a mother, Jesus will take the place of father and mother. And then the family of God in the church fills that breach as well. And the family of God in the church becomes father and mother to you. See, God has an insurance plan. Whatever situation we go through that, the, that Satan causes damage and calamities, God's insurance plan is always true. That's why Adventist Home, page 168, paragraph 1 says that the work of saving the homeless and the fatherless is everyone's business. And what did Jesus say about the kingdom of God? Notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Notice the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. The Bible says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So the will in heaven must also happen on earth. And what must be manifested? Child guidance, page 556, paragraph 3. How does the will of God and his kingdom on heaven be manifested in the earth? Inspiration writes, those who bear the last message of mercy to the world should feel it their duty to instruct parents in regard to home religion. Their great reformatory movement must begin in presenting to fathers and mothers and children the principles of the law of God. Is there a law of God of heaven? Is there a law of God on earth? Psalms 40 verse 8 says, I delight to do thy will, O God. Thy law is within my heart. It continues, as the claims of the law are presented and men and women are convicted of their dead duty to render obedience, show them the responsibility of their decision, not only for themselves, but for their children. Show their obedience to God's word is our only safeguard against the evils that are sweeping the world to destruction. Are we seeing this in our homes, brothers and sisters? I'm not a parent. But I was a public school teacher at one time. 
in a public school system in Burbank, California. And when my students tell me what they do in their activities in their downtime off out of school, my jaw dropped. Now, I was born in the 70s and the mid-70s, and I was raised in the 80s and the 90s, and I thought the 90s were bad. But in 2010, with technology, kids doing all sorts of things with the internet and with instant messaging and with uh, putting uh, images of each other that are unholy. It's difficult to be a parent now, and I feel for you parents. And it says, when we lift up the law of God, the law of love, showing obedience to God's word, it will be our protection that is sweeping the world to destruction. God's will for us in heaven is the law of God. God's will for for us on earth is the upliftment and obedience of the law of God, not in in, in duty and conformity, but because we love him, because we trust him, because he is leading us to a better way. That is God's design for us to have. And so, we as Seventh-day Adventists are anticipating the second coming of Jesus. And we know in Matthew 24, verse 14, it says, and this gospel of of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. And many of our sincere brethren believe that this gospel should be preached. We should do more net crusades and crusades here and there in evangelistic series from this place and that place, youth conferences, this and that. And yes, these are good. We should pass out literature here, there, and everywhere and spread it like the leaves of autumn. But they forget as a witness to all nations. And then the end shall come. What does a witness do, brothers and sisters? They give a testimony. And how do we give our testimonies? In how we live in the home. Avenue's home, page 36, paragraph 2. A well-ordered Christian household is a powerful argument in favor of the reality of the Christian religion, an argument that the infidel cannot gainsay. We could do all the apologetics all we want, trying to prove that God exists. We can make all the arguments and get proof text about Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, about the validity of the Sabbath. But the greatest argument that we can give to that of the world that they cannot argue back on is how we conduct life in our families. Amen. They can't argue with that. When they see shows like Desperate Housewives and shows mocking the family that God ordained. And then they see an Adventist home, an Adventist family, where father and mother truly love each other. They are submitting to one another. They are esteeming others better than themselves. That in itself is a testimony that will melt the heart to say, maybe those Seventh-day Adventists that eat funny and worship in a different day, maybe they have something that we do not have. You see, just like the early church, where the early rain fell, and we remember in the seven seals that the early church, the rider of the horse was Jesus with a bow and a white horse. God's last day church that will be triumphant during the crisis hour will also be pure, without spot and without wrinkle. 
And as the early Christians received their early reign, they went around and preached the gospel and lived the gospel to that then Roman Empire. Do you know that the Roman Empire at that time had many problems? The Roman Empire originally was a republic, but then it became oppressive and it turned into an empire. Why? Because there were social problems, economic problems, and problems throughout all around the countries that were attacking the Roman Empire. And because of security, it became an empire. Alcoholism was rampant. Venereal disease was rampant during the time of the Roman Empire. People were into what's called breads and circuses, overeating and gluttony and watching entertainment of the gladiators. Do we see this similar thing happening today? But when the Christian church came in force, alcoholism, alcoholism de decreased from those that received the gospel message in the Roman Empire. People no longer wanted to be gluttons. People no longer focus on breads and circuses, but trying to help their fellow humanity. And this aroused the suspicion of Rome. And therefore, Rome instituted per per persecution on the early Christian church. Isn't that ironic? The Christian church was there to save Rome, to give all the solution to all of life's problems. Do you know Ministry of Healing says that the gospel is the simplifier of all of life's problems? And then in the last days, when God's church has it right, when true revival and reformation happens, when the latter rain falls with power, Amen. and we go in the lines of medical missionary work, and we find the solution, we, we provide the gospel solution of alcoholism, drug abuse, family reform, showing that husband and wife can be reconciled in, in marriages that are being about to fall apart, when the Adventist church truly lives up to the message, again, persecution will repeat itself. Why? Because we are a witness to all nations. The enemy of souls is going to use the counterfeit kingdom of heaven because he knows that his, his time is short and soon and very soon the superpower that's claimed to be the kingdom of God, the United States will sweep away and the eternal kingdom of God will be established to the ceaseless ages of eternity, the true land of the free and the home of the brave. Amen. And we know according to the spirit of prophecy, that the United States will be in the point of no return. When it will be of national apostasy followed by national ruin, when they sweep away religious liberty and pass a law mandating people to worship in a certain day of the week. That's beyond return for the United States. But God's people that will uphold religious liberty that uphold that, that, that government should not be tyrannical, that government should be that of the people, a free conscience of the decision-making of the individual. You see, God's last day church will be truly patriotic Amen. because they are uplifting the standards of liberty of conscience. And when they, as a witness, live out the life when they truly be ambassadors of the God in the kingdom of heaven on earth in the church. Why? Because their families reflect what God has them to be. Then the end will come. And what will happen when this message will be a testimony and a witness to all nations? Our final text, Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Verse 44, Daniel, chapter 2, verse 44, famous text. 
The Bible says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in places and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass therein, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. The true superpower nation is waiting to be established. But it's dependent upon us and our families for that to happen. God is calling his ambassadors and his citizens to truly represent him in these last days, not only in witnessing, not only in evangelism, but the greatest witness is how we conduct ourselves within the home. When that happens, we can truly finish the work. You see, brothers and sisters, we put the cart before the horse. We do all these evangelism and, and net crusades and, and, and witnessing and have these all sorts of programs and sow one billion and doing this and that, and I'm not discounting that. Those are beautiful things. But unless the family is reformed and revived and reflects the love and order of heaven, we will not truly be declaring the three angels' messages with power. And God is calling us to evangelize and minister to where it's most important for our sphere, which is our families. For when the family is revived and reformed, the church will be revived and reformed. And when the church is revived and reformed, the church can then, with power, go out to the world and bring many to this embassy and more citizens will be added to the superpower nation, the true land of the free, the true home of the brave, the kingdom of heaven. And so, brothers and sisters, and so, brothers and sisters I ask today, how many of you here today say, Father, today, through your power and through your love. I want to be a rebuilder of my Adventist home. I want my Adventist home to be an embassy for your kingdom. I want my Adventist or Christian home to truly reflect the divine order that husband and wife love one another, that love and patience is shown to the children. And when the children see the parents loving each other, the children will fall in line. And if that's your desire to say, Father, today, I want to commit to your program in restoring the embassy of the home as a, representative, as a representative of your kingdom, I simply ask that we kneel and ask God for that experience, if that's your desire. 